0: That'll be a very special day when we see him as he is. That day when the name of Jesus won't just be a name in a book, it'll be a person standing right in front of you and me. What a wonderful day that will be. We live in that period right now of trying, of between longing and fulfillment, don't we? That time when we're looking forward to things being different and now we've been told that things are going to change tomorrow and yet, are they? And is the... In rising infection, and we're thinking, what is going to happen? What will reality look like next week? And we've been longing in that period of longing and expectation for such a long time. And ever since you've seemed it close to the line, the lines seems to move and move further away from you. And you're thinking, what's going on? And yesterday, Fiona and I had a wonderful experience of enjoying our Christmas present together. Here we are in mid-July on a glorious July day and we were enjoying our Christmas present, the present bought for us by my son and daughter-in-law who live in London and it was a trip, they called it a flight, I'm not quite sure why because you don't actually leave terra firma, you're very much anchored to it so I've flown many times, I know what flight is like, but they called it a flight on the London Eye. And we took that rotation. I think it's better rotation than a flight. Flight's rather fancy. Um, flight's what Richard Branson did last week, didn't he, when he went across into outer space. And apparently he's offering people nowadays. You can apply online if you want to fly into space. Go online, you can find Richard Branson's offering you an opportunity. Several people will be the lucky winners to really fly. But we were trying to fly on London Eye, going around a rotation of 30 minutes in London. And I'm a Londoner. So, but it's the first time I'd seen London from that angle. And it was quite an incredible... View to see, rather annoying because the domes are so, the convex nature of the glass means you don't get exactly good photographs because distorted by the shape of the dome. But I won't complain about that because it was a wonderful experience, nevertheless. But one thing is, the amazing things about those who grew, who grew up in London can testify to the way the London skyline has changed. I used to drive into, into London as a young 16 year old on a motorbike, you know, and London was dominated then by the post office tower and by St. Paul's Cathedral. And there are a few other on the on the, on the outskirts. There were there's some some you know um, uh, 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 new, new structures that were being built. But generally speaking, everyone knew the highest thing was the Post Office Tower, GPO Tower, and then you had St Paul's. And nowadays, St Paul's is dwarfed in London by the signs of economic growth and wealth. We're one of the wealthiest cities. London's one of the wealthiest cities in the world. It's a huge city with these dominating towers and my youngest son works in one of those buildings. He works in the Shard. An incredible center of banking, center of wealth. You know, we've got people from around the world who buy houses in London because the cost of houses is so colossal, they do it as an investment. People who never live in the house but have these huge houses just because they're investing in the real estate, the architecture of London. And Leodicea was a huge city that was renowned for the ancient world, for its wealth. It was a banking capital, as you can see there in the picture. It sat between its closest neighbours, Colossi and Heolipus. And it sat between the two nations on the famous and fertile Lycus Valley, this valley that goes through and goes from east to west or west to east, and sat on this famous trade route that made it eventually, under the Pax Romana, the the Peace of Rome, a very wealthy place indeed. Pliny, the famous Roman, called it a most distinguished city. And the famous Roman orator and senator Cicero, on his return to his Sicilian province, cashed his checks there in 51 BC. And if, if Cicero cashed checks in your banks, your banks had made it. In fact, in AD 60, the whole region was devastated by one of those famous earthquakes. We heard about them last week in AD 17 that flattened 12 of the cities in Asia Minor. Well, in AD 60, there was another horrendous earthquake and many cities were levelled and many cities were never to be rebuilt after AD 60. And this city of um, Leodicea was also flattened by the earthquake. And yet, the city was so wealthy it didn't re- t- require any imperial funding to put it back on its feet. The repair works and the rebuilding of that city was entirely funded by its banks. This was shocking in the ancient world. So Tacitus, one of the most famous Roman historians, writes this, he says, one of the most famous cities in Asia, Leodicea, was at the same time overthrown by an earthquake and without any relief from us, recovered by itself by its own resources you have made it if you've got a reference in histories of tacitus as the roman historian and what he was saying was how can they do this they refused a check from the emperor nero nero said i'll help you out and they said no no it's okay we're quite okay thank you very much indeed we've got this we're okay we're big enough we're wealthy enough we don't need your help rome thank you it was a city that was famous for its wealth. It was also a city that was famous for its industry and the fertility because the Lycos Valley, as we mentioned earlier on, was a, a valley that was very, very famous because it sat in a volcanic region. It had lots of, lots of um, vit- vitamins and minerals in the, in, in the, in the rocks in the water that made it very very good for growing wine, made it very good for feeding sheep. And Leodicea, in the region of Leodicea, was famous for a particular black sheep that produced a very glossy and soft black wall now i don't know about you but if um, you think about sheep most of sheep we see on the in the out there in the fields are white so the most common cloth they had in the ancient world was white and they used to dye it to make it even a purer white and they used to use urine they used to have these areas pools in cities where they would soak it into to get the acids out of the urine to make it white as white as possible so black was quite a novelty for a cloth and so Leodicea became famous for importing this black wool all over the world because it produced a glossy black, slightly purpley cloth, very soft and very luxurious. It became the cloth of choice. If you are a fashionista, you wore the Laodicean woolen cloth. Wool is one of those great natural products that's cool in, 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 when in, in, sun, in sunny conditions and, and warm in wintry conditions. It's a beautiful uh, fabric that God made for us as human beings. And so this cloth um, was so famous that they t- formed it into a tunic. The tunic was called the trimiter. and the trimiter was the cloth to have, the tunic, the coat to have. If you forget Carnaby Street in London, if you wanted to be fashion fashionable, you went to Leodicea and you brought clothing made in the black cloth of that sheep in Leodicea. It was so famous that the um, the whole city of um, of Leodicea was called, in some places, Trimataria it was named after the trimetia, this tunic that was produced in the Odysseus. So it was famous for its banking. It was famous for its cloth and its industry. And it was also famous for its medicine. Because in Laodicea, the there was a medical school there that produced two very famous salves, one for the ear and one for the eyes. And the one for the eye was made of, of a Phrygian compound that used to be rolled in small tablets in the shape of rolled... Um, uh, dried, rolled in the shape of small loaves of bread, and was imported around the world. And when you got this this, this um, tablet, if you crumbled it up and put it into water and put it on your eyes, it was renowned for giving you better sight. It was world famous. So famous, in fact, it's mentioned by the Greek. Um, I about to say someone needs to get up. Um, it, it's so famous it's mentioned by the Greek geographer Stabro, who lived in that region. So Laodicea was a place to be. Forget London, forget New York, forget any other capital. If you were wanting to live in a place where people were filthy rich, where you had good medicine, where you had great industry and most fashionable clothings, you lived in Laodicea. You became a Laodicean. It was an incredible city. And yet it had one major flaw. And if you live in the, cusp, the dusty warmth of modern-day Turkey in, the, in Asia Minor, the one thing you want beyond anything else is good water. And the Odysseer lacked good water. You would have seen on the map earlier on that we put up on the screen, slide one, that the Odysseer sat between two other cities, Colossae and it sat near to Heropolis, and Hierapolis was famous, and even today, if you could go to Leodicea or the ancient side of Leodicea, you'll see Hierapolis in the distance, because it, on the outskirts of the city, there's a huge cliff of white. And basically, it's lime-encrusted cloths, where the water, the spa water of this spa city comes out, and as, as it dries, the minerals are left encrusted. It looks a massive, like a white cliff of Dover. In the distance, it's a huge white cliff of mineral, minerals, of, of, of dried lime and other minerals, Hyak was famous and it was a spa town. People used to go there and soak. And you can go there today. If you want a tour of Turkey, you can go there and soak in the spa waters, the mineral waters of that city. Warm, refreshing waters, boiling up volcanic streams from beneath you, from beneath the earth. But if you wanted a cold drink, then you went to Colossae. Because Colossae sat at the bottom of a mountain range and the meltwater, water the snow and ice water would pour down that mountain into the streams and come into the 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 the, the um, wells in colossi and give you throughout all the year cold refreshing cool water but the Odysseus sat between them it had neither it had neither cold water or hot water and the water had to be piped in for six miles from a nearby town and if you went to Leodicea today, you will see the um, aqueduct and the piping, these, these stone um, uh, piping that was used to bring the, wa- bring the water into the city. And that was a fairly major problem for Laodicea. So it never became famous until the peace of Rome, because it could never be a fortified town, because its water supply which was piped in could be cut off. So it only became profitable in the first century BC. Well, 1st to 2nd century BC, underneath the Roman Empire. So here we have this city, this rich, wealthy city of bankers, this city of fashion, this city of medical excellence, with one major problem. He didn't have decent water. And Jesus speaks to the city, and the first thing he says is this. He says, I am the Amen in verse 14 these are the words of the amen the faithful and true witness true witness you know we're living in a society nowadays where people are doubting the words of Jesus Christ but Jesus is the amen that word amen means true it means not just true but totally true and God is known as the Amen God. Read Isaiah 65 and verse 16. Isaiah 65 says this, whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the one true God. Whoever takes an oath in the land will swear by the one true God. In Hebrew, the one true is the Amen. God is the one true God. God is the Amen God. And Jesus says, I am he who is the Amen. Amen. I write to you as the one who is the one true God, who is the Amen. Jesus is the Amen. What he says will happen. Remember in the the first books of Genesis when God says, Let there be light, what happened? There was light. God spoke and it happened. Because what God says is true. God isn't simply speaking for truth, he is for truth. It's in his essence. If you believe the God in the Bible, you believe the God of truth. Because any other God is not the living God, is not not true. It doesn't mean that some of his words are true, as some Christians tend to believe nowadays, and some of his words were perhaps slightly untrue. It doesn't mean that. Truth cannot be true one day and not true the next. The fact that Jesus is the Amen says that he is truth. And no matter how we want to redefine truth in the 21st century, truth remains true. If I step off this stage right now, the truth of the law of gravity will work even if I don't want to believe in it anymore. Even if I say, I don't believe in gravity, that was old, that was Newtonian science, it was, too, you know, it was hundreds of years ago, let's forget about that, let's move on in a new direction, because I'm a 21st century Christian, I will still break my leg as I step off of a cliff. Jesus is the Amen. You know, when you read John's Gospel, I commend to you John's Gospel. It's one of my favourite Gospels. And Jesus, you often find him in the Gospel saying things like, verily, verily, or truly, truly. Sometimes it's been translated nowadays as very truly, which is bizarre. It's like saying very unique. You can't be very unique. I'm sure um, our our teachers in in the room will agree with me. Unique is unique. You can't be very unique. Um, but truly 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 if you look in the greek uh, uh, the greek version of the bible truly truly is simply the word amen twice when jesus says truly truly he's saying amen amen i say to you so he speaks to the pharisee nicodemus in john 3 3 he says amen amen i tell you no one can see the kingdom of god unless they are born again chapter 3 and verse 5 of John, when he speaks to Nicodemus, he says, Amen, amen, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Jesus is the amen. Not just once, but twice. He's doubly true. What he says will happen. We can believe in his promises, which is why he goes on to say in verse 14 that he is also the faithful and true witness. Truth is not just the middle name of Jesus Christ. It is his name. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We can trust 100% times two. But when Jesus says, it will happen because he is the amen. And when he speaks to the church in the Older he says, listen to me because my words are true. Don't switch off. Don't ignore me. And when Jesus speaks to our church, CBC, in 2021, in July of this year, he's saying, people, don't switch off. Don't ignore these words. Listen to the words Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3. He is the Amen. And he first gives us a call. He says He gives us a call to heat up. A call to heat up. You see, their commitment have been found lacking. Why? Well, because they got to a situation where they were so wealthy, they didn't really seem to need God anymore. We prayed just now the Lord's Prayer, didn't we? I love praying the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus gave us. He has so much to teach us. Our Father, how do we address God? Our Father tells us that we have that fatherly relationship with him. But then we prayed, give us this day our daily bread, didn't we? We all prayed that prayer. I wonder how many of you were really thinking, if I don't pray that prayer, I won't get lunch. If I don't pray that prayer, I'm not going to get supper tonight. If I don't pray that prayer, my larder will not be filled. Because I'm pretty much guessing that most of you have a larder at home and a fridge, maybe even a big fridge, that's full of things. So you didn't perhaps really need to pray that prayer, did you? Because you are self sufficient. You've got enough. Or if it's not there, it's in your wallet. And on your way home, you can go via Asda or Tesco's or Aldi's or whatever, and you can buy it. Give us this day our daily bread. But when you're in a situation when you're 100% dependent upon God, when you say that prayer and you know that without saying that prayer you may not get to eat that day, that prayer means a lot more to you than it does to us as Western Christians in the 21st century. That's true, isn't it? And Jesus was speaking to a church that was rich. Read verse 17. Jesus says to the church, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. I don't need a thing. This was Jesus, the Amen, the one true faithful witness, saying to the church, look at yourselves. You don't need me anymore. You don't need your father anymore. You say you've got it all. A bit like the the rich fool in the parable in Matthew's Gospel. The church thinks it's made, it, it's acquired enough wealth, it's comfortable, doesn't need a thing. Remember that earthquake in AD 60? When the emperor Nero reaches out from Rome and reaches out to Leodicea. Leodicea says, hello, that's okay. You know, you can keep it, use it to other people. We've got enough. And perhaps that smugness, that self-complacency, that self-reliance, that pride, led to the Leodicean churches stepping back a bit from God and saying, hey, we've got this. We don't really need you anymore and Jesus says to the church says I know your deeds you're neither cold nor hot I wish you were either one or the other so because you are lukewarm neither cold nor hot I'm about to spit you out of my mouth the problem with the Leodicean church was geographical because the city was geographically between Colossae and Hierapolis, Hierapolis you know. Confused in my throat two cities one a hot city and one a cold city and there was Leodicea right in the middle it had neither cold water nor hot water I don't know about you but on a hot day you drink a warm water it is horrible when I've served in Iraq, Iraq and Afghanistan we used to get our water bottles and we used to cover our water bottles out there with a sock and soak it in water because as the sock evaporated as the water evaporated it kept the water hopefully a bit cold because in the heat of Afghanistan and Iraq, a bottle of water when it was hot, it's really hard to drink. Even if you're really thirsty, it is really unpleasant trying to drink really, really hot water. Put a tea bag in it, it's fine. But hot water without a tea bag or, or some coffee granules, in becomes something you want to spit out. And it was even worse in this situation because the water of that region is full of minerals. Perhaps we can show the next two slides please, eight and nine. And in those minerals, we've seen the, the pipes, the, these are some of the pipes coming from the aqueduct. You can see how built up the minerals are in that pipe. A hole that was originated, originally built that big has shrunk because it's full of, of this lukewarm, mucky stuff that came out of these pipes. So literally, the water of Laodicea was famous for people to have a drink of it and want to do nothing more than spit it out. It was distasteful. It was horrible. It wasn't enjoyable. And the problem with the Christians at Leodicea was also geographical. They were so wealthy, they lived in a wealthy place, but their faith began to get cold like that water. You know, one of the things that living in war zones has done for me in my Christian faith has helped to keep me warm and keep me close to God. Because when you're living in a war zone and when you know that every day may be your last on planet Earth, you have a, a really ripe and strong prayer life. Every morning you wake up and thank God for that day and pray for God's protection. Every night you go to sleep, you pray for God's protection and blessing upon those who are serving around you. It makes you appreciate life. You feel life like never before because you may lose life at any moment and because you're dealing with death well every day. And in my times of being in the operational theaters around the world, my prayer life has been the richest in my Christian life. When I ask for God to protect me, I mean it. And it's very easy when geographically we're in a wealthy situation for our prayer life to start to wane. And we find ourselves, we used to pray every day when we were a newborn believer and worship God and enjoy listening to tapes and and sermons and and really rocking it with God. And suddenly as we get older and more crustier as Christians, we find our prayer life is perhaps once or twice a week or a month or a year, and where we no longer long to be in the presence of the Lord, long to be in that place of refreshment, because we've been there and done it so many times. The Leodicea lived a long way from the source of its refreshment, six miles, and in the distance that water travelled six miles, it warmed up and got coated in the minerals of the earth and became unpleasant. And the farther we were away from God, the farther we are away from God, the colder we'll become as believers. Until we reach a state when our spirituality is so unpleasant to Jesus, he just wants to spit it out. We're neither worshipping God or not worshipping God. We're kind of in that middle, in bit of it, tepidness in the middle. And that means nothing to God. And God speaks to us here in this passage in a beautiful way. He doesn't shout at the Christians at Leodicea. He counsels them. He says, I counsel you. I beg you. I implore you. Listen to my wisdom. Don't carry on this course. Be different. Warm up. Heat up. Even become colder. But don't remain in this tepid, lukewarm, messy nothingness. But it's so easy for us to become. Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 11 this. He says... Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Don't let yourselves become so cool, you mean nothing. And remember what we read earlier in Proverbs 3. Jesus says to the church, he quotes from Proverbs 3, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father of a son, he delights in. When Jesus disciplines us, he loves us. You know, the worst time for a child is when the parent says nothing. When the parent is so fed up with a child disobeying and doing the wrong thing, but eventually the parent just gives up, doesn't bother anymore. That's terrifying for a child, isn't it? When the child doesn't even care to say stop, to say no. And when Jesus reaches to the church of the 21st century, as he does in this book of Revelation, and he talks about the Christians at the Odisea, He's reaching out in love. He's saying, I counsel you. I love you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't be saying this. Let's listen to the words of Jesus. He calls us to heat up. He causes us to dress up, to dress up. He says to the church in verse 17, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, I do not need a thing, but you do not realize you are wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. They are pitiful and poor. He says to them in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. He's saying that, look, all the riches of Colchester, all the riches in the various garages around the, 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 the city or around this, 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 this uh, county, all the size of houses and the quality of the stuff you can buy from Amazon or you can buy from Curry's or John Lewis or any other shop, all the riches and the wealth is nothing you need to buy for me gold refined in the fire. Spiritual gold. Gold that will last for eternity. And you only find that with Jesus. You won't find it online. You only find it in him. You need to go to him and ask us to give us spiritual wealth. Real wealth that will last for eternity. True riches. Jesus, uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians in chapter 8 this. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that through his poverty, through his poverty, you might become rich. If you want to get rich people, have a richness that will last forever. It's only found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in the city of London. It's not even found in Leodicea. Come to him. And he says to them, you are blind in verse 17 and he says to them I counsel you to buy from me salve to put on your eyes is that a direct reference to the historical facts we know about the Leodicea salve to put on your eyes so that you can see he's saying to them listen the salve you've got the Phrygian chemical powder that you have doesn't work you're still blind but I can make you see so many of the miracles that Jesus performed were miracles of healing and giving people their sight weren't they people had never seen before and he can give us real sight and help us to see things as they really are. And he says to them in verse 17, sorry, verse 18, I counsel to you to buy from me white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. Confession time from the pastor. My abiding nightmare. I don't dream about zombies. I don't dream about falling. That's quite good as being a parachutist. I don't dream about lots of things. My nightmare is I have a bad dream. Is nakedness. I dream that I'm in a place where I've got no clothing on, and I'm seeking to find something to cover myself up. It's a horrible dream. I hate it. I've had that. That's the dream that wakes me up. Seriously, and science and, and um, uh, 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 psychiatrists say it, it, it is a, actually a very common dream. And G- Jesus is saying to his church, "Listen. You think you're covered in the black cloth of your city? You think you're fashionable? You think you're hip? You think you can walk down?" carnaby street looking, the look in the thing and reality is you're naked like the parable of the king with no clothes remember that parable hans christian i think it's hans christian Andersen parable isn't it he, emperor's new clothes, emperor's new clothes that's, yes that's right and everyone is, is is actually saying to him how wonderful he looks and in reality he's got nothing on And Jesus says, come to me and I will give you new robes, white robes. And white robes in the book of Revelation is symbolic of righteousness. But Jesus gives us. Nakedness in the Old Testament is seen as a great thing of shame in terms of being naked before before friends or anyone for that matter. And Jesus says to the church in Sardis in verse 19 of that chapter, he says this, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. He's saying to us, come to him and receive white robes, his righteous robes, his righteousness to wear. Your righteousness is not enough. We can't be good enough in front of God. We can't be good enough by what we do ourselves. When Jesus looks at us, he just sees us in the nakedness. We need to clothe ourselves in his righteousness, in his white clothes. Earlier on, a few weeks ago, we had a sermon on the church of Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, the early part of the chapter. And here Jesus says in chapter 3 and verse 4 of this. He speaks of the people in Sardis and says, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not spoiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. Jesus wants to dress us in white, in his garments, and make us worthy. And lastly, And finally, he opens, he talks about a call to open up. He's given them a call to heat up. He's given them a call to dress up. And then he says a call to open up. And here we find the grace in this passage. It shows us how loving God is. But he writes with great love. Because he writes in verse 16, he says this, So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. He doesn't say i've spat you out of my mouth in the past tense he doesn't say it's going to happen right now he says i am about to jesus has given us a period a chance an opportunity to heat up to become stronger and closer to him here we find grace he counsels us and then we have this wonderful picture revelation 3 verse 20 i wonder how many of you know that verse by by rote here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with them and they with me how many of you know that off by heart you've read it so many times and yet and I've preached it so many times and when I preach it I often preach it in the context of, of preaching to those who don't know the Lord Jesus I preach it as an evangelistic call there Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart asking to be let in and do you know what the context of that passage the context of these words of Jesus is not to non-Christians it is to Christians it is to the Christians in Laodicea. it is to the Christians of the 1st century in the Christians of the 21st century Jesus says behold I stand at the door and knock it's very easy for us to deflect isn't it as Christians and think that's a verse for non-believers I've already opened my door to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sitting around the table. We're close as that, Jesus and I. We enjoy good McDonald's every now and again. And yet Jesus is speaking to Christians. He's not speaking to non-believers. You see, we can invite Jesus into our lives. We can say the believer's prayer. We can be baptized in the waters of faith. And yet in our life, because there's distance between us and that point of refreshment, we can shut the door on Jesus again. We can close that door and say, I've had enough of you, Jesus. Thank you very much. You saved me, but I don't want to be too righteous. I don't want to be too close to you. I don't want to be too much like you. People think I'm weird. And we shut the door. Initially, it may have been a jar, so we can hear him calling. We like that. It's comforting, going through a difficult time, hearing Jesus calling in the distance, knocking a little bit. We know he's close. But eventually, has become more and more sufficient that door becomes shut and eventually bolted and padlocked, the owl slips across and we can just hear a mumbling on the other side of that door. That's as much as we can cope with Jesus Christ. This call, this verse is to believers. I went yesterday with Fiona for the first time ever to, to St. Paul's Cathedral. I was londoner how, how What a strange confession that is, isn't it? You can live in London all your life and never visit some of the great sites. I went for the first time ever with Fiona yesterday to St Paul's Cathedral and I was really saddened that the famous picture by by William Holman Hunt, a pre-Raphaelite artist, was actually not on display because I was going to encourage all of you to go down there and see it. And sadly, the transept it's in has been refurbished and it's been put away while the builders are working and I was told yesterday that if you want to see it, you have to come back in two years' time. So... It is normally on display at St. Paul's Cathedral. This wonderful picture by Holman Hunt. Call the light of the world. And if you look at that picture, what do you see? The door is locked and there is Jesus standing with a lantern. What is he doing? First of all, he's by the door. He is there. He's not half a mile away. He's not ringing up on the phone. He's not sending a text or sending an email. He's not on WhatsApp. He is physically, not virtually, he is physically outside the door and he's standing there. And Jesus is physically outside the door of our lives right now, this very moment. And not only is he standing there, he is knocking. And the Greek word for knocking is not talking about just knock once and disappears. I'm a London lad, we used to play a game when I was a kid called Knock Down Ginger. We'd go to a door, we'd ring the doorbell and then we'd dash and, and we'd stand and peek around bushes and watch people open the door and look around saying, where'd that come from? Knock Down Ginger was a great game to play. Knock a door and run away. Jesus is not playing knock down ginger. He's standing on the door. He's knocking on the door and he's waiting. And not only is he standing there and knocking, he's also calling. He's calling your name. He's saying, let me in. Let me in. I counsel you. Let me in. Don't remain half-hearted. Don't remain lukewarm. Don't remain tepid. Enjoy the fullness of me. Let me in. Because I'll come in and eat with you. And you with me, and the word there in the Greek for the meal is the evening meal. There's three words in the Greek that It describes a breakfast, the lunch, which was a snack, like a sandwich pack. And then the evening meal was the one meal where you could relax. Because it was the day the meal taken after all the work was done. And the evening meal in, in the Greek culture was one of relaxing, sitting and, and enjoying the company of a person, as well as the good food you're having on your plate. It was about as much as the food as about the company. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, notice that anyone, anyone, those watching online, anyone in here, anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he will come in. It is a promise. The amen says, I will come in. And he will come in. And he will deal with that tepidness and that lukewarmness that we sometimes call the Christian faith. He will deal with that and give us an excitement about Jesus that will blow your socks off like Michael Caine I won't do the exact quote about the the doors that were blown off he'd do something like that he'd blow those doors off wide because Jesus isn't a tepid Jesus he's not a lukewarm saviour it wasn't lukewarm love that took him to the cross for you didn't love you a little bit didn't love you a teeny-winty bit didn't have a little affection for you he died he gave his all he was not only stripped naked and shamed for you, hung upon a cross, he was crucified. His blood flew out for you. Jesus is not a lukewarm God. We should never be lukewarm Christians. Because lukewarm Christians is so distasteful for him, it wants, it's nemetic, he wants him just to spit it out, people, the reason that churches aren't growing in this country is because there's too many lukewarm Christians. If Christians are excited about Jesus, our pews will be full because people will catch that excitement. Lord, he calls to you and says, catch this excitement. Start to burn again for me. This is a word to all of you. It's a word for me. I know it's a word for me. It's a word for you. Let's not leave this church this Sunday morning and simply tell Jesus the Amen God okay I've had quite enough of that and shut the door again let's keep that door open invite Jesus into our lives to heat us up to bring change to us and change to our world let's pray perhaps the Lord Jesus has been speaking to you this morning perhaps you feel But he's asking to come into your life. He's at the door right now. He's knocking. He's calling. And you know that. You know he's there. You know he wants to take you further in your faith. He wants to go further and heat you up and give you a new sense of his love for you and his direction for your life. Perhaps if God is doing that right now, just can I invite you to stand up. If anyone keep their eyes closed. Perhaps you just want to stand up now, make that declaration. Now stand in your seat and say, Lord Jesus, I want to open the door to you. And perhaps there's some of us here today who have been just resisting the Lord's call into some form of Christian service, who God has been calling to consider Christian ministry perhaps, a ministry in the church, a ministry that will mean us leaving our job. Then perhaps if God is doing that and calling you, You want to stand up now. Acknowledge that. Or perhaps you're just a normal Christian. You've been a Christian many years. You love the Lord Jesus, but you would like to love him more. You would like to get the best of his love and be the best that you can be. If that's you too, then I invite you to stand up. To stand up and say, Lord Jesus, I want the best of you in my life. I want as much of you as I can possibly have I want to be the best I can be as a Christian believer I would encourage you if that's you then you just stand up Lord Jesus we come before you now and we hear your voice we sense your knocking and we ask Lord Jesus that you come in to be with us each one Lord Jesus Fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit. Come into our lives. Help us to learn to leisurely take time with you every day, to eat with you and from you, and to be nourished and strengthened in the power of your Spirit. Help us each one not to be like the Leodicean church, to be complacent, fat, and self-sufficient. Help us, Lord, to be hungry for you. Help us, Lord, to want more of you. Help us, Lord, to grow closer to you, that you may heat us up, that you may clothe us in white, that you may come into our lives in power and not just change us, but change others through us. Lord Jesus, this is our prayer. In your name, and so we say, Amen.